Good afternoon. This is Dr. Matthew Dunn, host of The Future of Email Marketing. My guest today, Mike Donnelly, CEO, and I bet you love saying this, of The Seventh Sense. What a great sounding <laughs> name. <laughs> Matthew, great to, uh, great to be here. Appreciate you uh, reaching out. Yeah, yeah, no, I was I was intrigued by the company, and uh, of course, I want to ask the history of the name right out of the gate. So there, <laughs> funny. Uh, well, not not a funny story, but you you always make mistakes when you when, when you're a first time founder. And we had initially named the company. In fact, it is still our incorporation name, which tends to be kind of a pain with regards to contracts, legal, etc. But our name was Telepath Data, and the 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 reason for that was we were thinking of telepathy mm -hmm. um, and then data, but then there was numerous people that sound, said, hey, this sounds like a phone company or something similar. Right. And somebody said, hey, seventh cents. And we were like, wow, we can actually get the domain name and it's not very expensive. So we went after that and here we are multiple years later. And am I fair in saying that uh, like the critical critical uh, thing that you do for customers, and I realize a broad domain of customers, is um, make their email better, send time optimization being a fundamental piece of that. Yeah, so we really, uh, the, the, co the company has a, a bit of a long story or history and pivots and things like that, but sure. today in today's world, we like to call it really delivery time optimization, because okay. you, okay. send time optimization is, you know, it, it, people get confused where it's, well, I have to send to each individual. It, no, you press send once and it gets delivered to each individual. I see. So yeah. delivery time optimization is where we got started in the world of uh, marketing and artificial intelligence. But we've now uh, really focused on that is our core mm -hmm. value, but we've continued to, to innovate in different areas around what we just like to call email delivery optimization. Email delivery optimization. Got it. Like it. Um, and then there's there's some platform focus to the company as well. From what I could tell, you work uh, you work a lot in the HubSpot and Marketo <clears throat> platforms, correct? That is correct. So solely in those two markets, um, we don't we, we actually have one very very large multi billion dollar organization that uses us in all kinds of different facets. But they were where we kind of piloted the the product that dating back to 2013 um, when it was really just an idea and they still use us today for all kinds of different things. Nice. Um, nice. But yeah, HubSpot and Marketo are two primary marketplaces. That's where we wake up, think about day in and day out. <laughs> it's been something watching, watching uh, HubSpot in particular, just grow yep. over the last, you know, X number of years. They, they weren't founded that much before you guys. 2000, I want to say 2007 or 2008. I mean, they've okay. been, yeah, they've been, they've been around for, for quite some time, but they've really, over the past few years, they've exploded. And oh, geez, in yes. fact, we were one of their first, um, what they called back then connect partners when mm -hmm. they were thinking about becoming a platform. And there's history behind that as well. I, yeah, I talked with them somewhere early on, um, Another another uh, another company under our same umbrella, uh, heavily involved in video and built on top of Wistia's platform and Wistia up in Boston. Yep. Were, were, they were kind of corporate buddies with HubSpot. And so I, I twigged to HubSpot relatively early on. Like, this is quite cool. And then just watching the expansion has been unbelievable. Yep. Unbelievable. And and. People don't always think of HubSpot in terms of email marketing, but but can you talk a bit to that? Because it is it is a robust platform for that. <clears throat> yeah, so I, I think that's. I mean, they they, they really had a. Um, if if you think about where HubSpot started, it was more or less in the. It was in kind of like the inbound marketing space. What does that mean? They were essentially telling people, put blogs up on your website. And then how am I going to reach those people? Mm -hmm. In fact, Pete Caputa, who I've become very, very good friends with, he started the partner program at HubSpot. I think he was employee number 20. Wow. And he went to the executives, Brian and Darmesh, and said, hey, we need to do email marketing. And they all just laughed at him and said, "That's it, it, there's hundreds of systems out there that do email marketing. And eventually they said, okay, well, we'll get into email marketing. And they got into it. Uh, very, very early on in their history, because yeah. it's like, hey, I'm collecting all of these leads. Now, what do I do with them? Yeah. Um, yeah. And so they, you know, I don't want to speak on their behalf, but they're 
were very heavily invested in kind of the marketing automation space. And as part of that, they built a really strong CRM. And obviously now they're branching out to kind of become the true back office for um, growing companies. I mean, you even see with their latest uh, products around payments um, where you they'll host your payment system for you, your subscription management oh, wow, system. Wow, I didn't know they'd done that. That, yeah. that uh, You're right. Yeah. Um, okay, so we don't want to talk about HubSpot the whole time, but that's, <laughs> that, no, it's, it's, good to, it's good to get a grasp of you know, where these things come from because when a company gets well-known enough, it looked like they just showed up and there's always evolution. There's always decisions. Some of them like, you know, you like your founding company name, like, oops, we hadn't done, you know, wish we hadn't done that. And, Others, uh, right. you, know, you look brilliant in the rearview mirror and stuff like that. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, so back to back to Seven Cents, um, and let's talk HubSpot and Marketo. Who are your customers, and where do they find you? So, it's a we're very heavily invested in marketing in their HubSpot, like the HubSpot ecosystem, the Marketo mm-hmm. ecosystem. We work with a number of HubSpot agencies. Uh, that's where uh, we primarily focus on kind of like an inbound methodology where customers find us either via, you know, word of mouth. We don't do any paid advertising, anything along those lines. It's all just, you know, referral based or people finding us through the HubSpot app marketplace. We've also invested in, uh, SEO so that customers can find us that way as well. You know, they might be looking to solve, how do I throttle emails with HubSpot? Um, and then they find us. How do I throttle emails with Marketo? Uh, and then they find us. Okay. And then we go through a you know a process with them to learn a little bit more about what they're trying to accomplish and vice versa. Yeah. Well, and you mentioned early HubSpot becoming a platform and then you mentioned the app marketplace and I sort of joined those two things together for someone who may not be familiar with the platform. Like if you're running HubSpot for fill in the blank piece of your business, um, somewhat like your iPhone at the risk of a poor comparison, there's an app store and there's some amazing stuff um, in the app store to expand what you can do with that with that tool set. Yeah, it can't be all things to all people. And there's specialist apps that, out, uh, that are out there like, hey, I need, you know, like yours. a general contractor is another way to look at it. Hey, I yeah. need a plumber. Let me go yeah. get the plumber. I need an electrician. Let me go get the electrician. Um, uh, so like, look at it that way as well. When when Apple launched the iPhone and Steve Jobs was in the no 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 we'll write all the apps anyone will ever need because um, version one it was only web apps I think they called them and relenting on that and shipping a proper software development kit like how many billions of dollars in the App Store business for Apple now like yeah, when you can unleash the ingenuity right. of other people you grow yep. not an easy play to make but. No, not at all. <laughs> not at all. And, and, and again, we've, we've been at it. We, we've seen it from the beginning of when HubSpot started making the shift. And yeah. uh, I mean, it was really them moving an aircraft carrier is what it was. Know, it really what it equated to. And, and, and it still is that way. Um, big, big company, fast moving, lots of customers. Yep. Yeah. Um, uh, every, everything, everything scale catches up with you, right? It just it becomes harder to do stuff. And that's another to me, that's another benefit of an app ecosystem if you can make that platform transition that you know innovation is no longer only your job yep exactly yeah now marketo i am not as familiar hands-on with marketo as a lot of other platforms especially uh especially since they become part of adobe but uh how how long you guys worked on that platform and what are your observations about it uh, so I will tread lightly on this. <laughs> they are in a completely different space than HubSpot. They have sure. not developed, they don't invest heavily in kind of their platform infrastructure. Okay. Um, and so it has been, well, we have very, very large customers in the Marketo space mm-hmm. and it's, it is quite challenging to engineer products uh, uh, around their uh, uh, around their. <laughs> you can't see his feet moving, their but he's dancing. <laughs> right, right around uh, around their code. Uh, I guess is <laughs> yeah, is one yeah. way to put it. But no, it's it, it's a very you know, Marketo has obviously been around for a long time. Uh, they've got a very you know yeah. strong system. Um, it's it's kind of like what I like to look at is it's a little bit kind of like an old school Salesforce, 
you know, it's very, it's, it's there. It's, it's a very strong system, but not a lot of innovation happening within the, uh, within the platform. Well, correct me if I'm wrong, but their customer base skews sort of skews huge. And that's about it. I, I, you know, it's not a small business HubSpot, you've got some, you've really got some range and they, they provide an entry point for all sorts of sizes. And, and then eventually you can't leave, but right. Mar- right. Marketo uh, seems to, seems to be, you know, big iron, big budget, uh, big list, big campaigns. Um, man, and it, that makes sense as part of, part of Adobe. I mean, Adobe's got their own kind of wild ecosystem and I still don't always understand where the, where the, uh, enterprise tools like Marketo fit into that, but, uh, <laughs> but you know, now you mentioned Salesforce. Was that ever a, was that ever a, a platform you contemplated moving your technology to? Us in a yeah, and I mean it, it. It is something that we contemplate at, at least once a month. Uh, we've, we we know the folks over at uh, you know that are responsible <laughs> for that platform ecosystem. Yeah. And exact target is some, or the historical exact target or Salesforce marketing cloud would be an area that we would uh, consider. And again, we just always consider it. Pardot, on the other hand, we won't consider just because their APIs are very, um, they don't, they just don't have the mechanisms for us to tie into, whereas Salesforce marketing cloud would. Um, but we're just not, you know, building these types of integrations where you're analyzing billions and billions and billions of data points a day. And we're not just like pulling in small little bits and pieces there. It's, you know, there's a lot of heavy lifting. It needs to go on, especially when you're talking about people that have lists of millions of people, uh, that they're sending to on a regular basis. Yeah. Yeah. That's uh, that is a very daunting challenge. And I, I suspect there's an implicit observation there that, APIs are all, not always designed for that sort of wide and broad use. A lot of a lot of you can get this one record stuff, but <laughs> tough right t- tough to scale on that one. For the we've had to we've build. had to build around quite a bit of that. I, yeah, I, I yeah. like it too. You know, sucking you know sucking everything through a, a coffee straw. That's <laughs> that's what it really yeah. is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Exactly. Well, well, well. Since we get to we can geek out a little bit because you and I are in control of the conversation here. Um, Technologic 2013. So that gave you an opportunity to probably build on the cloud very early on. Yes. Yes, it did. Um, which definitely helped. We didn't have to, I mean, we've, we've obviously invested millions of dollars in, in, in building out the company. And, mm-hmm. but that being said, back in 2013, the data infrastructure and data pipelines are completely different today than they were back then. Yeah. And we, we have changed our backend infrastructure multiple times now just mm-hmm. to support, you know, I remember when processing, cause again, we didn't start in the world of marketing processing, processing somebody's inbox of a thousand emails or I'm sorry, 100,000 emails was like unbelievably painful. And now we're processing billions and billions and billions of events every single day. Wow. Uh, So as that scale has really increased, we've had to make more technological advances uh, with regards to it. AWS probably? Yes, everything is in AWS. Okay, okay. And that's... uh... There's some great technology in AWS for that kind of work. I was talking with uh, someone else in this space and they teed up a project using Kinesis and they were practically singing songs about Kinesis. <laughs> it's the kind of scale, like the kind of scale you're talking about. If you were trying to engineer that from like literally from the ground up engine, that'd be a heck of a list. Yeah. And we we actually were on Kinesis, and then we we started moving things away from it because we started reaching scale bottlenecks um, with it as well. So wow, okay, that 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 right there says something about the scale at which <laughs> at which you guys play. How uh, you know how do you get your arms around? How do you get your arms around scale like that? You and your team. I mean, not just building for it, but then you know managing it, making decisions, and then making change it's it's not like you go drag drop copy we're going to do this over here instead you, you, right and it never no, it's, it, yeah it, it, it can become a painful process uh, <laughs> where you've you start to see like hey this is starting to crack over here 
we need to spend a little bit of time before the the, the dam bursts mm-hmm. um, and causes all kinds of issues. Yeah. Luckily, my co-founder and CTO, he is just an absolute brilliant mind when it comes to data architecture, data yeah. infrastructure, and he really stays ahead of the game with regards to uh, wow. you know all of this. Excellent! Wow, that's a that's a heck of an asset because. It's it's you know we're inventing the future almost minute by minute in this space and it, the kind of data volumes you're talking about almost nobody maybe Saber was dealing with you know Saber the airline you know calculus yep. nobody was dealing with that that kind of scale not even that many years ago it was like limitations of limitations of a mainframe in Saber's case limitations of of, of you know relational databases but now it's opened up and there's and we're still not keeping up. With the fire hose, even close. Right. Yeah, yeah I had, I mean, it, early in my career, I actually started uh, as a software engineer for a company called Solar Genomics, which was where we mapped the human genome. And we had the largest supercomputer in the, in the, in the, private, in the private world yeah. at, at that time. And we were talking about, you know, millions and millions of data points, not billions. Yeah, billions, um, yeah. So that, yeah. and the infrastructure probably cost anywhere from 200 to 300 million and just compute yeah, uh, to, yeah. to, to support that type of. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And now, and now to a great extent, you, you want to rent that kind of capability because it's certainly expensive to, right. to buy that kind of capability. And then you really can't uh, really can't make switches. It, you know, email such a long-standing channel and and looks so familiar who doesn't get in their inbox every day that trying to acquaint someone acquaint someone with the scale of of email in actual use in the world it, it's always a little bit hard when i say you know 300 you know 310 billion email messages a day you can watch the gears grind and someone yeah. said, did you say a day i said yes a day oh my god i had no idea yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, think, I mean, think about the scale that Google and Microsoft are dealing with from from that. I mean, and HubSpot is, you know, HubSpot, Marketo. I mean, just, you know, their their scale and their infrastructure is also just continuing to uh, to increase. Is HubSpot their own MTA? I mean, their own send? So they used to use SendGrid okay. um, as their main MTA. I believe yeah. they have switched everything to themselves now. Okay. I mean, that, that you know, given what they do, it's not entirely. And the cost of continuing to use SendGrid, et cetera, yeah. would just yeah, you know. yeah, yeah. Um, and you've and you've got you've got this funny back and forth shift of you know MTAs are only for the big guys, and then they get so big they they, they build their own. You know, Amazon's got uh, SES in, the, SES, in their yeah. cloud, right? Um, and then, and now if you, if you want to, and you know what you're doing, you, you can, as a relatively small marketing org, avail yourself of world of world-class MTA, um, to, if your platform plays nicely with, with those. Um, and I've even talked to marketers who switch, you know, they'll use this, that, and the other MTA. I don't know if they're just staying ahead of the, you know, IP <laughs> domain police <laughs> or what, but Wow. Wow, interesting terrain. Where, uh, where do you, where do you want to take this company? Just you know, really continue to grow as far as driving value for our customers. Um, in, in specifically right now in the world of email, but there's lots of different use cases in how you can apply time series analysis and propensity modeling in both the world of sales and 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 marketing, and even outside of that in different yeah. aspects of business. Yeah. In fact, the customer that I was alluding to that was our first customer, we analyze. They make around seventy five thousand phone calls every single business day. They have a huge group of inside sales reps. I mean, again, it's a multi-billion dollar technology company. And we analyze all of their phone data to predict when phones will answer. Uh, so their customers, when they're calling them, rather than just a salesperson randomly picking up the phone yeah. to call Sarah, yeah. they now are informed that Sarah's phone has a higher propensity to answer yeah. at this particular time. Yeah. And we've seen all kinds of long-term great results uh, with that as well. So that's just, you know, one example of where uh, propensity modeling can, uh, or time series analysis can really help out on the communication side of things. Well, and the more, 
the more we live with one foot in the real world and one in the digital world, the more data there is for you to, you know, apply the, you know, the methods and systems to, to, to make them work better fundamentally. And, and I have to say, getting a phone call when I'm more likely to answer the phone is probably better from my perspective as well. Um, it is it, always a back and forth tension to that. Is it, you know, is it privacy infringement? Is it manipulation? That's eh, a tough question to answer. How is that jumping topics a little bit? How is the, the, the shifting mindset, legal landscape, cultural landscape around privacy, data ownership, um, even nation by nation differences in privacy? How's that affecting you guys? So fortunately, it has not had any uh, real negative effect. And the primary reason for that is like for Marketo, we pull zero PII from the Marketo system. Mm-hmm. Uh, we utilize a unique ID that Marketo has, which is called a lead ID. Mm-hmm. And that's how we profile is based off of that lead IDs activity. Yeah, lead ID. okay. And very similar in the HubSpot ecosystem, they have what's called a vid. We utilize the vid or virtual ID mm-hmm. as kind of our unique identifier. And then we mm-hmm. obviously create our own identifiers. So for us, there's not really PII exchanging hands. Yeah, yeah. Um, that being said, if somebody has a wish to be forgotten or anything along those lines with regards to GDPR, CCPA, yeah, um, you know, we can take it from the vid or the lead ID and then just scrub it from our system. Um, now, the other advantage that we have is like if one of our customers gets questioned about CCPA, yeah, like we can't answer the question. Like, I don't even know how many people reside in California that we have IDs for because I don't know where they reside. Yeah. We do nothing with regards to IP addresses or time zones. Oh, interesting. Uh, Just just because, I mean, time zones are riddled with all kinds of issues. And I think that's, what's funny about a lot of modern marketing automation systems that say they do send time optimization via time zones. One, you and I could live in the same time zone. You might be an early morning person that tends to engage in your email. I might be a late night person that tends to engage, like truly engage in my inbox. Yeah. We're all passively dealing with email all day, every day, but we, we do tend to engage yeah. in our inboxes at certain times of day. Yeah. Um, but with regards to time zones, I may reside in the UK, but my email server lives in California and I VPN into it. Yeah. Um, yeah. Or my infrastructure lives in California. It looks like I live in California. So now by sending me an email based off of my time zone or IP address, <laughs> You've effectively sent me emails in the middle of the night. Oh, yeah. I I have to chuckle because the number of times I've wanted to bang my head on the whiteboard behind me dealing with date and time, like, unless you work with this stuff, you have no idea how stupid it really is fundamentally, how how inconsistent and and, uh, arcane and edge case and nonsensical. I mean, we can't get away from it. But yep. like when and where is a booger of a question. It's not nearly as simple as you think. Oh, it's like it's like it's like the, here's where people are aware of it now. Or maybe they weren't two years ago. Uh, arranging phone calls or, or, or video conferences. Now people are much more time zone aware. <laughs> than they they've used, ever been. Absolutely. Than they've ever been. Right. Because all of a sudden you're literally living and working uh, at different and in different time bands and it actually really matters i've, I've had guests on this uh podcast from uh from new zealand from the uk from spain and it's like wait a minute how are we gonna you know, how, right. how are we gonna coordinate this how and when are we gonna get together without it being an awful experience for at least one of us so yeah yeah and i mean then, you think about even places in the united states like arizona arizona yeah. has different time zones within the same state like it's Funny, funny, funny side story on that. I was, uh, I worked at Microsoft uh, in the in the 90s. Um, we were a relatively small company when I started there. Um, and I was in PSS, the tech support organization. That's where I started. And I ended up on a committee that was looking to pick the third PSS site for Microsoft, which is like, that's a lot of employees to plunk down somewhere. Yeah. So, so we were doing this whole site selection process and, and Arizona was almost going to be top dog and the time zone thing hosed them because back then it was all telephone support and and moving time zones and trying to schedule. Staff it. Things, and, right? yep. It was like, oh man, 
no flipping way. I don't know if the <laughs> phone system can even deal with this. So Arizona hobbled themselves without realizing it on that time right. zone thing. Yeah, I was thinking about time zone the other day, and I, I'm going to use this to dovetail over to talk talk about privacy and Apple a little bit. We, we were looking at um, we were looking at some data from our newest service um, that pertains to open rates and because we did what you had to do is kind of normalize in the data warehouse and say, okay, this is what happened on a 24 hour cycle with this campaign. Like, wait a minute, but middle of the night for who, right? Right. If uh, this guy tends to open his messages at X time of day, you, you know, your domain of expertise and like morning people in the UK and morning people here are not doing things at the same time. And do you want to show from the, from the, user's point of view that their clock or is it this global clock that's easier to deal with computationally that that we're trying to use to make a picture i was looking at the tool set that that was doing the graph the data warehouse that was doing that 24-hour uh normalization like i can't think of a way to make it deal with individuals time versus a global average you know gmt based time yeah 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 so yeah, no, quite uh, quite challenging. Um, you know, you've world, got, you've, <laughs> right? Yeah, no, they, you've you've got a couple things going on there. One, it's it's funny just even in the United States talking to marketers and saying, Mike, I don't ever want an email going out. Like if I'm on the, talking to a marketer on the East Coast, I don't ever want an email going out at 3 a.m. And even if their only user base is in the continental United States, my response always is that's midnight on the West Coast. Do you know how many decision makers are late night kind of individuals yeah. as far as them truly paying attention to their inbox? Yeah. That's how you can stand out. Yeah. Then I talked to marketers on the West Coast and they said to me, Mike, I would never send an email at 3 a.m. And I say, yeah. why? That's 6 a.m. on the East Coast. Do you know how yeah. many decision makers have a higher propensity to engage first thing in the morning in their inbox and just because they're in meetings the rest of the day? Yeah. So, yeah. Then you expand globally and it becomes an even bigger problem. Um, in addition to that, you have third shift workers, especially in today's uh, day and age. Yeah, yeah. yeah, um, yeah. And so what w the approach we took was we, we look at relative time mm -hmm. as far as kind of like our profiling process. Yeah. But then we had to build a whole, our own entire time zone library because we just couldn't find anything that would yeah. worked yeah for the end users that use our application yeah so that yeah. there was those two could co-mingle with one another. yeah and so that they could make sensible decisions without going eh. right exactly <laughs> right I, I don't have to make my decisions based off of a global time zone or a relative time zone yeah yeah it's uh you've seen those world time zone clocks that people will have hanging on the wall, you know, what time is it in London? What time is it here? What time is it there? It's like, that's yeah. marketing today. You got to keep that, got to keep that thing uh, live in your head because you do probably have a global, uh, a global audience, whether or not you think you do. Um, I mentioned it, I, w I wanted to ask you about it. Has, uh, has uh, Apple's uh, <laughs> shenanigans in the world of email and pixels and images affected things for you at all? So why don't we, let, let's take a step back and I, I'd love to dive into that. Um, so if, for anybody that's not aware, I would assume most people are as far as your audience, like yeah, the, way open, the way open data works is, I think of it this way, I install a transparent picture in my email that you, the human eye can't see. And when you go and open your email, it gets downloaded from a remote server and says, this particular email address, client, et cetera, open this email. And that's how an open fires. Well, what Apple has now done is turned it on so that they will cache all of those images for anybody that turns on mail, mail protection privacy. Um, where we made a strategic decision years and years ago, and we're actually lucky that we made it. It was like a great move on our part, but in hindsight, mm -hmm. We weight what we call events differently. And what I talk about events from email, it's you can have an open, you can have a click. Did that happen on a mobile device? Did that happen on a desktop? How recently did that event occur? Mm -hmm. We have always kind of washed out mobile opens because mobile opens are really not a good signal. And they never have been. It's a good, like, it's, think about when you're opening 
an email on your mobile device, you're probably most likely triaging your inbox. You're not going to fill out forms. You're not going to make purchases. You know, if, if a brand is lucky, they send it to you and then you're like, oh, wow, I like those shoes or I like what I saw. And then when I get back to my desktop, I'll take action or, hey, I liked what I saw about that webinar. So let me go, you know, register for that webinar. Something caught my attention Mm -hmm. while I was triaging my inbox um, on my mobile device. So we've kind of always kind of while we still will take that signal into consideration, we very much deprioritize. Yeah. Okay. That being said. It hasn't been all doom and gloom, like everybody said, where your open rates are going to go to 100%, things like that. Like, I have not seen one company that has been so severely impacted by it. So that's one. Not to say that that can't eventually happen. Two, clicks are still, I mean, clicks are the most valuable signal that we capture. Um, And clicks on a desktop are obviously more valuable than a click on a mobile device. But these, these, so back to kind of like, where you can still use mobile opens as a directional signal. And what I mean by that is, okay, so maybe your open rate and it went from 20 to 30% because 10% of your audience has mail protection privacy turned on. Well, if you're doing any kind of testing, like I, I'm not a big fan of subject line testing because I think it's fool's gold for, for numerous reasons. <laughs> um, but just say I'm doing subject line testing. Yeah. Well, and I split the audiences equally and an A and a B group. Well, it's going to wash itself out directionally saying, you know, 10% of my iOS 15 users are in the A group and 10% of my iOS users are in the, in the B group. So you can still use it as a directional signal, which is what open rates have always Always been been. good. That's what they've been good for. They, they had true engagement, like, Call me crazy, but just because somebody opened an email doesn't doesn't mean anything. You know what? Because I've been I've been fairly involved in this, and I'll delve into why in a little bit, but um, time permitting. But um, so one webinar conversation, and we were batting some of this back and forth early on when we were all guessing hard about what the impact of 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 Apple's change in image handling would actually be. Um, and someone said, well, here's the thing to keep in mind. It, we tend to think in terms of, uh, in terms of commerce-based marketing and probably even more e-commerce based, you know, I'm sending the list. I want them to do X. I want them to purchase or click or join or something like that. There, there's a bunch of, there's a bunch of kinds of businesses where the content in the message is actually the point. Newsletter, yeah. easy example. Publisher, easy example. Like, they don't want me to click through. They don't care if I click through. That's not what they do. What they do is like, like, like I've got newsletters I pay for and I read them every morning and that's what they want me to do with it. They have lost some of the signal, which was always at best statistical and always at best, as you said, an indicator. They've lost, they've lost some of their signal there, but... One, it was an accident. It was there in the first place. Like, wasn't designed for that. It was an accident. Like, yep. HTML happened to include an image tag. Image tags happen to be HTTP protocol. HTTP protocol has a whole big damn payload that you can look at. Wow, that was a nice accident that we exploited for twenty years, and now, and now it's getting, uh, you know, it's getting handled differently. You know, like, okay, fine, uh, adapt. Um, and my uh, my somewhat maybe self-interested comment as a real-time content provider early on, I said to the email marketer marketing guys in a uh, Zoom conference that if you guys had actually made more interesting use of HTML for 20 years, we wouldn't actually have this problem. The fact that pixels are about the only thing you do <laughs> with yeah. HTTP, well, geez. No wonder everyone's irked because really the pixel's good for you and doesn't do anything for the recipient of the message at all. Maybe a little bit of feedback so you can give them better messages or that's the, uh, that's the rationale we'll throw out. But truthfully, they don't see any difference. There was a Washington Post article about this today. <laughs> today. 
And my wife sent it to me, and I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> um, but what the WAPO article, uh, reporter focused on was pixels. I'm like, oh, it's not the only kind of image you could send, but boy, it's the one we're going to talk about all the time. And justifiably so, right? And I don't yeah, and it, I mean, that is, that, that's a very interesting point because I always think about the why. Like, why are people so concerned about this? Um, And it's, it it all comes down to marketing's kind of like obsession with attribution. (laughs) Uh, I mean, that's what a lot of these problems stem from is, is true attribution, taking credit. Like just because I don't open your email does not mean I'm like, it, it sends a subliminal message to me. Um, and it potentially sends a subliminal message. That's why, you know, you see a lot of marketers send email for the f- sake of sending, I sent an email today, or like I sent an email yesterday. And they, uh, they, they you know, kind of, we'll probably can go in 20 different tangents here. But like, one of the challenges in today's world of email marketing is companies have invested millions and millions and millions of dollars into social advertising. And what's the goal of social advertising? It's one, brand impressions. But two, it's so that you can collect people's email addresses because you rent the house, you treat the house that you rent, which is Google, Facebook, you know, all the fang stocks, you rent that house and you treat it better than the house that you actually own, which is your core intellectual property, which is your email list. And then you tend to really treat it as a commodity. Um, because executives believe there's no cost to sending email. Well, the real cost comes in on the attention of your recipients. Yes. And once you have lost that attention, because we, at the end of the day, we live in an attention economy. There's a reason why Netflix and Hulu are spending, you know, billions of dollars building artificial intelligence to understand what movie are you going to like next? Because they know if they serve you up that movie that you are more likely to have a propensity to engage with, yep, yep. then you're, you're not going to turn as a subscriber. Yep. Um, where, you know, that you, instead of continuing to, you know, and, and again, everybody's databases are very bloated. And rather than saying, hey, let's take some money from over here and put it into the house that we actually own <laughs> versus just trashing the house that we own. Yeah. The world would probably be a bit like the world of digital marketing would be a better place. Yeah, yeah. Here, 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 and cheers for everything that you just said. Mar- <laughs> marketers, and you know, don't mean to speak ill of my brethren, but I don't think of myself as a marketer. They're kind of needy. Like any email address they get their mitts on, they're like, you know, like, like hang on to this. Like, hang on a second. It's actually not yours, it's theirs. Right. right. They said, okay, I want to hear from you for now, but it's not, you know, it's not your address. It's their address, one. Um, and then two, um, look, you, you touched on it. Like they'll send for the sake of sending because it, it, it looks close to free. Imagine how differently email marketers would behave if, if the cost, you know, ratcheted up where they had to pay attention to it. Like, well, it, I. So I think I actually think that is exactly what every company is dealing with today. There is other than the cost of storing and paying for HubSpot, Marketo, Salesforce, whatever yeah, it might be. Yeah. There is actually a real cost now. And the real cost is deliverability. Google, Microsoft and corporate filtering systems are literally waging a war mm-hmm. on spam. And I'm not talking about your professional spammers that are trying to steal your credit card information, yeah, yeah. but rather marketers that send lots and lots of email that people aren't paying attention to. Yeah, yeah. And well that starts just like you have a credit score in your personal life that determines is a bank going to loan you money? How much are they going to loan you? Under what conditions are they going to loan you? Yeah. You also have a domain score, domain reputation, which says, hey, you've just completely yeah. hosed yourself or trashed yourself. I'm no longer putting you in the inbox. Yeah. And that's what Google, Microsoft, and corporate filtering systems are doing today. And that's why you see marketers scrambling, trying to say, well, email no longer works. Well, no, no, no. Email still does work. Yeah. If you do it well. If you do it, yeah, well, well put in. You're you're absolutely right. Boy, we're <laughs> we're very much on the same wavelength here. Um and it's interesting. This is a this is a big jump, but it's probably worth talking about. Who elected them, God? 
What? Sorry, say that again. Who elected Google, Microsoft at all to the to do that to do that job? And under under what sort of purview, circum, you know, uh, uh, supervision? Like, and I'll and I'll pick on Google, much as much as I admire the company and use the heck out of their technology. Like, we're going to have a promotions tab. Okie dokie. Like, fine. And and it's it's like saying we're going to put male privacy protection in place. Everyone's going to say it's a good idea because of how you how you pitched the idea in a word or two works fine. Well, now marketers, as you pointed out, have this it, deliverability is the SEO of email, right? It's this yep. bizarre black box world that constantly changes. There's no predictability. You can't go to you can't go to the uh, to the rule of law and say we all play by the same set of rules here, like literally. Big company X is setting rules and changing the rules, and it was just got to go. Oh crap! I guess we just have to pay your point to keep up with that. And it, it does kind of irk me that, and it's it's natural natural evolution, natural maturation of the channel, if you will. That you know, de facto monopolies emerge or de facto duopolies emerge, and they can exert this kind of tro- control because they can. Right? Apple yep. arguably broke a whole bunch of internet agreements when they shipped iOS 15 in September. One of the agreements was HTTP has the following headers that'll define how the content behaves. They ignore those in MPP. Yep. They're like, yeah, we're not going to pay attention to that, right? Because we don't have to. Well, you said something that I like at one at the beginning, which I disagree with. I think Google is an evil, evil company. Yeah. Um, <laughs> we, we use them internally for because it becomes yeah. it has to. But with regards to like free email addresses, I mean, at the end of the day, you're the product. Yeah. Um, and 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 so that's what people have to recognize is that 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 you are truly the product. Yeah. And. Now, corporate filtering systems are a different thing because let's focus on Google and Microsoft here. We'll pick on them for a minute or Yahoo or whatever it might be. Um, And again, I'm no fan of Microsoft. I mean, Microsoft is doing a better job of doing no evil. Google just continues to do evil for the sake of Google uh, making more money. Um, But with regards to why they can't, why they've done things like promotions tabs and smarter spam systems and all of that is because they use that as a bit of their differentiator because there is an all out war between, you know, who's going to own that data. Is it going to be Microsoft? Is it going to be Google and those free email addresses? Because for anybody that doesn't think that Google is reading your personal email to build a deeper profile on you as an individual. I mean, you're you're smoking crack. The same thing with Microsoft, any kind of those free email addresses. Now, or uh, on the business side, when you actually pay for that, there's strict privacy laws, things like that. But let's face it, Amazon had their whole marketplace where they had a whole ton of engineers reading their customers' purchases, things like that, so that Amazon could start, you know, outstripping their, you know, yep. even the people that are on their marketplace. Yep, yep, yep. Google, yep. And, and, and effectively what's happened is these organizations have become utilities and yeah. we need to treat them as such. Um, I, 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 like that, that's a, kind of a whole nother discussion. Yeah. Um, but with regards to corporate filtering systems, I also understand that side of the house. One, you have to keep out phishing attacks, which are continuously becoming harder and harder for an organization to uh, to ascertain or yeah. even understand. Yeah. So that's one. Two, if I'm a the CEO of a corporation, why do I want my employees reading marketing emails all day? <laughs> so their IT organizations are saying, well, we have to keep out phishing attempts. So that's one. Two, we don't want our employees spending all day on webinars and because then they'll just not, or reading email because then they'll never get anything done. I mean, we're all getting hundreds of emails a day, mm-hmm. uh, whether it's in our personal lives, you know, professional lives, et cetera. So yeah. these corporate filtering systems, that's why they put in rate limiting systems. Yeah. Um, and, and the modern day spam systems are the rate limiting systems, whether it be Barracuda, Sourcefire, you know, there's, there's a whole plethora of them that are, uh, that are out there. Hmm. Yeah. Wow. Good observation. 
and and a and a very real tension. Let me feed that one back to you and see what you see what you make of this. You could easily make the same argument about the web browser on a corporate desktop. One hundred percent. Yeah. Yeah, and, and, and I'm not saying that I uh, agree with it, but yeah. there there are certainly organizations that block ESPN and yeah. Washington Post yeah. and CNN yeah. and yeah. Fox yeah. News and yeah. and all of that because they don't want their employees spending time on it. Now, I think in it, if you're working for a corporation like that today, <laughs> I mean that that, that should be we have kind a different of a problem. Red, right, that, that would be a huge red flag. But you even saw during you know the height of the pandemic, a lot of organizations started putting spyware on their employees' yeah. laptops and desktops to understand how much you know are they spending in different apps and how much time are they spending in meetings and calling people out on that. So yeah. you know, th- there's Big Brother is not going away. I guess is the the long and short of it. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And and we'll find you know find guerrilla ways of fighting back but how you know effectively i read the other day that one of the hot sellers on uh, on amazon since you used the word um during the pandemic was a device that would make your mouse move while you weren't at your desk because of, <laughs> because, of <that. laughs> because of the whole tracking things like oh no no i'm working right, right? see the, the the mouse was moving like Right. Wow! If the output is clicks, we have a very different impl- definition of meaningful, you know, contribution as an employee. Right, <laughs> I, right. That in itself may be the root problem. Yeah, I. It's, it's funny. I, I, I philosophically uh, think app, app, what Apple, what Apple decided to do with with MPP, it's like it's fine by me. In fact, it's great by me. Um, sign right, sign me up. In in terms of. Do I think it's do I want to have some control over whether or not someone knows that I opened this email? Sure sounds fine to me and I'm not sympathetic to their plight as a marketer with slightly skewed metrics. Like yes. not necessarily so not my problem, right? Like I don't really care. Um but it's a pretty blunt weapon. And- Absolutely. And, and and the fact that Apple I agree with you. I mean, when I first read the news, I mean We'll come back to Amazon in a minute. But when I first read the news about MPP, I, I was very frustrated because yeah. while they still, while Apple still says they give you choice, mm-hmm. when you're going through and setting up, it, it's more or less, if you do this, your your iPhone's going to, if, if you don't do this, your iPhone's going to explode. Yeah. Um, and in fact, I actually like, it, if, the, if the market were better educated, Good marketers use open signals in ways that actually help the consumer, such as, yes, I am fatigued of your emails. I don't need an email from Nordstrom every freaking day. And if they would just recognize that, if you and I were having a conversation, you started, you know, Matthew, if you started looking around while we're on this podcast and playing on your phone. I'm yeah, not going to yeah. keep going with the same conversation. Yeah. Yeah. Well, open yeah. data can be used in a very similar way where it's digital body language, which is yeah. this yeah. person is not really engaging with me. Let me slow the cadence or volume of email right. that I'm sending to them, right. Right. which right. has benefits for the consumer benefits for me as a domain reputation, et cetera. Um, so to me, it was very frustrating that Apple took this this light because they made the decision to take this away from me. Yeah. Sure, I can turn it off, just like I can turn off promotions in my you know Gmail, etc. But you just not many people know how to do it. Um, it, it. Your general consumer probably doesn't know how to go. They don't fumble around in their settings. They just do what they do. But remember, this is the one kind of uh, positive note. I think email marketers tend to freak out quite often about news. <laughs> and what I mean by that is, if you think a couple months ago, everybody was freaking about freaking out about MPP, destroying yeah. everything, email marketing was never going to work. Yeah. And again, it's, sure, there's, it can, open data can still be used directionally until you have 100% open rates. And guess what? We're all going to open email on our phone, but then we come back and open the same email on our desktop. Yeah. That doesn't go away unless... Eventually, Apple's going to impl- impose um, this on their native Mac or native mail client yeah. on the Mac. 
But I think people will find that frustrating because now every time, just like Outlook, when I have to go click download images, which is the default, whereas Google doesn't have that turned on by default, um, it just becomes too much clicky clicky. Um, But just like the the sky was falling a couple of months ago, I don't think we've seen the sky falling. But if you also (laughs) remember a couple of years ago, and this is what I try to remind people of, remember when Alexa was going to destroy email marketing because Alexa was going to read all of our emails. Oh, wow. And Alexa <laughs> was going to read our email inbox to us. Yeah. And everybody was like, open rates are done. Click rates are done. Like <laughs> delivery is done because we're yeah. all going to be sitting in our kitchen and Alexa is going to say, you've got an email and it's from Jeff. And it says, hey, can you pick up the dog and can you pick up the kids from school today? Yeah. Yeah. I haven't seen that. Yeah. Like, it, it, like sure. It's a kind of a, I guess a thing, but it, it, it certainly oh. hasn't ruined the world of email. Marketing. It certainly has not. And, and it's hard to imagine anything more annoying. I mean, it would be all day, every day that you got something just talking to you that, I mean, that's how much email we're all getting. Right. Yeah. 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 And, and, and I mean, there's actually, there's a basic math issue about, uh, about, Speed of audible conversation, speed of scanning, not reading. Like, right. Sorry. Yeah. It's like yeah, that's not going to work. You're right. There, 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 there is a bit of a propensity to freak uh, out there. And you know, back to back to root cause, root solution. You you said it a little while ago, right? Right on the mark. If you do this well, these things are not obstacles and problems. Right. Right. There are emails that I get very regularly that I read when I get them. Why? Because what's in them is uniformly, you know, pleasurable, interesting, informative, something, right? There's value there for me. So, you know, so I open them. And there's others. I always end up, I always end up picking on these guys. One of these days I'll, I'll fess up who they are, but there's a, there's a uh, pretty good sized outdoor retailer who shall remain nameless. I've been on their email list for 12 years, I've bought thousands of dollars worth of gear from them and they still don't know who the hell I am. I yeah. still get the same drivel about categories that I'm never going to buy in when they've got huge signals about the things that I really am likely to buy in. I'm like, would you do this better, please? Because you could, you'd get in my wallet. I guarantee you'd get in my wallet if you just bothered. And I know you've got the data because it was your cash register, guys. Like, what the heck? Yep. And I know it's hard and it's complex and there's too much data and you can't crawl it. Yeah, right. I don't care. <laughs> I'm not no, that, 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 that all can exist. And I think, you know, yeah. you, you have a enabling piece of technology on that front, which is, you know, kind of real time, you know, yeah. Hey, yeah. this individual is going to get this, this individual is going to get that. Um, you know, we, we have done some uh, language modeling, like this person yeah. tends to uh, like emails with webinars. I mean, we're not there yet. It's kind of like been a skunk works longer yeah, term yeah, kind of yeah. view out. This person likes webinars. This person likes white papers, you know, they're, they're, yeah, they're more yeah. interactive with those types of things. Um, but like you said, like outdoor, the, the other component is, uh, again, is when people start to ignore your brand, um, yeah. that can have some, I, I don't need an email from call it uh, Patagonia or REI every day. I would much rather have an email from them once a month. And if they recognize that, if they sent me an email once a month, I would say, because day to day, the product isn't going to change. Yeah. If they sent me an email once a month, oh, wow, let me go see what they have to say. Let me go see what uh, is, is, is new in the store. Um, well, let's, let's pick on email marketers again, because it's so much fun. Um, <laughs> rarely do I get a message with a little dial at the bottom that says, how often do you want to hear from us? Right. I may get a preference center that looks like like the space shuttle dashboard and I can't figure out uh, all they really want to do is to not say, no, go away, leave me alone. But that, you know, would be relatively easy to give me a scale choice of like, how often do you want to hear from us? Oh, well, click that one. Fine. Good. We're done. Litmus company in the email space. For those of you listening, Litmus sent an email about a month ago that said, do you want to keep hearing from us? And I do, but I yep. was like, salud, guys, way to go. That was a that was a brassy decision to go ahead and say, look, we're not going to keep sending to you if you won't even click this little button, right? Why? Why? Because we're going to honor the signal of disinterest 
that we're getting because we can't necessarily measure as well anymore or as clearly anymore whether there's any interest at all because that that feedback loop is is weaker than it was yeah and the good i mean the good thing is we are shifting in a world of uh, just mountains of information and mountains of data where a lot rather than having a preferences center or rather than having you know putting the onus on you to say do you want to still hear from us yeah you can utilize those signals to automatically adjust yeah um, start, we start figuring it out the kind of the kind of thing that you know we, we've touched on them like big 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 companies have applied their horsepower to do you know i'll bet amazon is a pretty darn good idea you know what i do and don't uh yeah. what i what i look at what i read etc um, they've got enough years of history. That's for sure. I, th you know, and, and one of the things that I always try to remind, um, marketers about even like executives as well is if you're lucky, if you are lucky, 5% of your total addressable market is in the market for what you do or what one of your competitors does. Yeah. If you are absolutely lucky, it is between maybe at the max, especially in commerce, e-commerce, 10%. Yeah. For most B2B organizations, it is half that. It's 2 to 3%. Yeah. So would you rather try and keep those 2 and 3% interested, but also treat the other 97% with respect so that when they are in the when they are in the market six nine twelve eighteen twenty four thirty six months from now, yeah. that they have a good impression of your brand. Yeah. You haven't you haven't broken that kind of social contract yeah. um, with the fact that they gave you their email address. Yeah, yeah, because that you know that that negative impression takes a long time to wear. To Absolutely. Wear off, if it ever if it ever in fact does, well. Dang, man, this has been a fantastic conversation. Awesome. Well, yeah, no, definitely have, have enjoyed it. I uh, love, love what you brought to it, what you guys do. If uh, if someone's listening um, and they say, wow, this is interesting. I want to learn more about the company and we're on, we're on HubSpot. What kind, of, what, kind, what kind of guidance is, this is the kind of marketer or, or business that 7 Cents can, really can help? Because it's not so, listening. It's not everybody. But it, 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 we we can help like we could. I I shouldn't say we can. We could help everybody using HubSpot yeah. Marketo. Well, HubSpot has different tiers and there's API access, all that. But yeah, we could potentially help organizations. And and one of the ways people come to us is like, well, well my email list is small, and I'm like, well, that probably is your means. Your email list is really important. Those people on the email list, whereas they're like, oh, well, your system can't really or, or couldn't really help us. The email list doesn't, this list size does not matter. Okay. It, what really matters is, are you, do you have a definable or like a, a definitive way to say ROI, that you capture ROI from email? Meaning is email a, a truly, is, is it a channel that truly drives results for you? Mm -hmm. Or you, do you fall in the camp of, I send email to send email? Yeah. Um, and what we tend to find is when companies, we, we realize this, they, a lot of companies tend to send email to send email, yeah. then they get themselves into deliverability issues, meaning they're no, no longer inboxing. Yeah. Um, and then they come to us and they want a silver bullet. And we say, there's no silver bullet that exists for this, but we do provide you with tools that allow you to dig out of it. Um, and those tend not to be the greatest of customers of ours, mm -hmm. um, because they're the ones always looking for a silver bullet, um, versus, Hey, I mean, you know, just like every company wants to do SEO, hmm. very rarely, I shouldn't say very rarely, a lot of companies don't want to invest the time or energy that it takes to, to really drive a true SEO program. Yeah. Um, that's very much similar with email. Um, unless you are looking to truly invest in your email program, then we're, we're, we can help you, but it's not going to be... A huge win it's not this week yeah okay okay wow now let's it's some sometimes knowing you know knowing who's not a fit yep is, it, it, that's a harder problem than knowing who is a fit right i totally <laughs> yeah. agree yeah yeah it is well listen mike thank you so much for spending the wow we've gone a whole hour talking in depth like this
Cool. Yeah. No, th- thank you again for, uh, for reaching out. And this is, this has been an absolute blast. Would love to, uh, you know, stay in touch and, and thanks for anybody who listened as well. well. We'll do that. My guest has been Mike Donnelly, CEO of the seventh Sense. You can find them on the web at the seventh sense.com. Correct. That is correct. Thanks, thanks Mike. Matthew. Thank you.